The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Hello and welcome to Spirited Conversations, a locally produced live recording of a keynote speaker. I'm Jan Marsh for Fresh FM and the Spirited Conversations Committee. Recently, Peter Olleranshaw led a spirited conversation at Yaza Cafe on growing trends for electric vehicles. Here's Barry McKee to introduce the evening. Good evening and welcome to Spirited Conversations. We appreciate your support in this difficult time. So it's my pleasure to introduce Peter Olleranshaw. I just wondered at this time that we may have been casting our minds back to things in our youth and what things were like. And one of those, of course, is the motor vehicle. And I guess we can remember things like cars without seatbelts, batteries that ran flat, no heaters in cars, and that thing called a crank handle. <laughs> yes, I did use one at one stage, but at any rate, we've certainly seen an evolution in motor vehicles. They have changed considerably over my lifetime. What are we up to now? We've got electric vehicles. Is this going to be an evolution? Maybe it will be a revolution. And I'd ask you to to welcome Peter to talk to us on electrical vehicles. For you, for me. Right, so in the early 1900s, um, EVs were actually king. Electric cars were the third over into the combustion engine vehicles. But they were quieter, they didn't smell, and they were instant start. There were no crank handles. It was a big thing. And they, they actually held the land speed record in the early 1900s. But grid electricity was patchy. The lead-acid batteries took a long time to charge, and the charge didn't last that long. Recharging took a long time. And so it wasn't long before internal combustion engine vehicles dominated for the next 90 years. Battery EVs were limited to milk floats in the UK right up to present day. But forklifts because of zero emissions inside, inside warehouses and a few other specialised uses. In the early 1990s, the California Air Resources Board mandated low emission vehicles for smog, not greenhouse gases. And then they brought in a legal requirement that 2% of vehicles had to be zero emission vehicles by 1998. General Motors bought out its EV1, which had 100 kilometres of range. At the time, the only batteries available were lead acid. But it was a fantastic car. It was a two-seater that people love, but GM refused to sell to them, only to lease it. Toyota bought out an electric RAV4, again very popular, but only leased. The US auto industry successfully challenged this mandate, and it was full steam ahead, again, for um, internal combustion engines, vehicles, with them crushing as many EVs as they could. I don't, don't know if anybody's seen the film Who Killed the Electric Car? Yeah. 
Yeah, so <laughs> it's nice. That's not to say at that time they were perfect, the batteries were really getting yeah. And of course the fossil fuel companies almost paralysed then because just imagine if they couldn't sell fuel for motor vehicles anymore. So there were a lot of people who had a lot of vested interests in maintaining the status quo with internal combustion engines. And they'd invested so much in the what might become redundant technology. But lithium batteries were the real game changer. Nissan was an oddball with the Nissan Leaf in 2010. But it was Tesla that really put a bomb underneath the established car manufacturers with their Model S in 2012. This, this car was faster than a BMW M5. Now, I'm not sure how many petrol heads we've got here, probably none, but, but M5, it's, it's, it's BMW's sports version of their cars, and um, it was a similar size to the Tesla. And this Tesla Model S was um, faster in just about every aspect than this sports version of the M5, which was pretty much the sort of gold standard for that, that sort of sporty car. Um, it handled, the Model S handled just as well because it had the the weight of the batteries under the floor, so it had a really low centre of gravity. It had very low running costs, of course, very low fuel costs. You could fuel up at home without having to go to stinky petrol stations. And it seated six people, this original one. It had two dicky seats that would fold up in the back for kids in the back. So, and, and it could accelerate zero to 100 in less than three seconds. You know, that was just out, outrageous. So, legacy car manufacturers had to follow suit. So, what's our, our experience been? In March 2017, we bought a Nissan Leaf. Following a drive, where's, where's Lindsay? <laughs> Lindsay let me briefly have a drive of his Nissan van, which has got a similar mechanical setup to a Nissan Leaf. And that was quite impressive. And we also had a friend that had bought a small Nissan Leaf, and he was just absolutely in love with it. And so we thought, well, we should buy one too. But we bought a 30 kilowatt Leaf. So electric cars are normally races by the size of their batteries. The first Nissan Leafs came out with a 24 kilowatt hour battery. We've got one with a 30 kilowatt hour battery, so it's slightly bigger. And it gave us enough range without recharging, go to Marlborough Sounds, to Takaka, to Murchison, and go to Blenheim, which was quite good at the time because fast charges were a bit sparse. We've had it for five and a half years, and the most we've ever paid is $12 to fill it up. The range is only 170k, but we've got our own power system at home, so we can, certainly through summer and sometimes in winter even, we can fill it up with our own power. And you, you tell me anything else where you can generate your own fuel for your vehicle. Imagine growing soybeans and turning that into oil and power and vehicles. That it's just massive, whereas it's actually quite easy with electric. We've had no servicing costs, literally at all, for five and a half years. The only thing we've ever paid is the four tyres. So there's no oil changes, of course. The gearbox will all change at maybe 150,000 k. Um, same with the brake fluid. But the brake pad, they're hardly be used. I'm not sure if you know this, but all electric cars now, that when you take your foot off the accelerator, it turns the motor into a generator, which puts power back into the battery as it slows you down. And the further you take your foot off the accelerator, more it slows you down. In fact, some of the new cars, I'll talk about them later, are so good that you actually drive with one pedal. You don't touch the brake in normal conditions because you can decelerate fine just using the accelerator. 
So urban pollution from internal combustion engine cars is a real issue. Of course, there's the climate change, uh, carbon emissions is one thing, but there's, there's also all the other nasties that come out of exhaust pipes that electric cars just don't have an exhaust pipe. There's a brand new HAPIN study, H-A-P-I-N-Z, it's something like health and something in New Zealand, and they, for the first time, looked at nitrogen dioxide, and that accounted for 60% of a social cost of 15.6 billion in health from pollution. And almost all of that was from diesel vehicles. The other 40%, most of that was from diesel vehicles as well. And with, with an earlier happen study, they found that in Christchurch, this earlier study found that in summer, the dose response for summer particulate pollution was 400 times the dose response of winter. And in summer, the particulates were almost all fossil combustion. In winter, it was dominated by wood burners. So the wood burner smoke had radically less harmful effects on people than the fossil combustion. So from the internal combustion engines, particularly diesels, you've got 60% of that 15 billion cost, and most of the other 40% of it is diesels as well. So as well as the climate issues, you've got these urban pollution everywhere the um, pollution from the vehicles can't disperse. Okay, so much about our leaf. Like a lot of people, we, we found them outrageously good for 95% of our driving. If you think about it, how often is your daily journey more than 50k? And even the oldest Nissan leaf is still going to have a 50k range. However, leaves like ours are not so great at long distances. A quick anecdote about um, a trip to Dunedin. Nelson to Dunedin in one day and miss that leaf, and we can't get a quick way through Lewis Pass because there aren't enough fast charges left to go around Kaikoura. And so, with back to back fast charges um, and open road speed, um, they'll the battery temperature on the Nissan Leaf was getting up and up and up and we're in, in, in the red well before we got to Dunedin where we had to get to and plus it was wet and there's two things with wet roads one with the um, tyres are colder and so they deform less easily each time they rotate so there's a bit more friction there and they actually um, form a little dam with, with the water and so there's a bit, of, a bit more friction as you're driving through it so all these things combined meant we were driving up Mount Cargill, having charged up at Hampton, the battery would only take 80% power because it was so hot. Driving up Mount Cargill and the, the car starts saying, warning, warning, you're running out of battery power, you're running out of battery power. You know, we're still like 400 metres from the top and it said, nah, you're out, you're done, you're gone. You know? But we, we slowed right down and we just managed to creep over the top. And then it was all recharged down the hill and we managed to get to the um, Otago University fast charges. So, sweet. But, you know, that... That's the problem with these low um, power um, cars. However, things possible. I, I, um, we bought a um, 24 kilowatt leaf for our daughter in Auckland, and I drove it back to Wellington in a day. Multiple fast charges. It only had a range of 90k. No, but you know, this was two years ago. There were enough fast charges there um, to do that. But now we're um, part owners of a long range car, um, so. We're now part owners of a Tesla Model 3, but, and, and people think, oh, Tesla, ooh, you know, this is, this is, you must be really wealthy. But they're actually one of the cheaper new electric cars you can buy, and with the $8,000 rebate, it was quite doable. 
they have a completely different dealer model. They don't have um, car um, showrooms and all the ancillary staff for that. They don't have service departments because there's no servicing. So they can operate at much lower costs. When we bought the Tesla, it was um, the only person we ever actually saw was, was the truck driver who delivered it and got the port. Everything else was online. So we, you know, it was just low overheads. This just makes a huge, a huge difference. Driving to the Neiden is, is two charges, perhaps three. And you, know, you, you never have to worry about the battery overheating. And you're probably going to have that many stops anyway, you know, for a coffee or, a, or lunch or um, go to the toilet. So with cars typically having a 400k range, this is pretty much standard now. You, I don't think you'd get a new car that doesn't have a range of 400k. Um, and, and with fast charges um, more and more common, they're trying to get them at least every 100 kilometres um, down the road. It's really changed things. Plus, the charging speed has um, significantly improved. With, with the Tesla superchargers, you can get 275k of um, range in 15 minutes. Now that's, that's like what you'd normally have in a stop every 300k anyway. And um, the, the normal fast charges are 50 kilowatt speed, Tesla's 120, but the newest ones that are going in are 350. So that's seven times faster fast charging just in 10 years and um, on the horizon the, the Mercedes EQ XX it's a prototype but in real world driving it drove 1000k with, without recharging and it's got 108k um, kilowatt hour battery so it's um, our, our Tesla's got a 60 kilowatt um, battery so this is quite a lot bigger but, but it's not like a 200 kilowatt hour battery it's just more efficiency so with these changes in efficiency, um, closer fast charges, longer range and faster charging, I would suggest it's actually game over for um, internal combustion vehicles. Just a bit about cobalt mining and African slave labour and things. This is pretty much a fossil fuel beta. Now, sure, there are some African kids mining cobalt, but I don't know if you know that none of the Teslas that have come out of China have had cobalt in their batteries. So it's, it's not all cars, and um, cobalt's only such a minor thing. Lithium, that's, that's from um, big countries like Australia, you know, and, and there's heaps of it. We've done this to New Zealand um, for electric vehicles, but there's, we don't have fuel imports. There's zero tailpipe emissions, of course. And just talking about the net ch- climate change emissions, even with a coal-fired grid that's substantially coal-fired, not New Zealand, but overseas, the, the electric cars are, are still significantly better than fossil fuel cars as, as far as um, total emissions over their lifetime. And in, in a country like New Zealand, where we've got 90% renewables, that, that change at a point where the, uh, the electric vehicles are much lower environmental cost comes much quicker, typically a year or two in New Zealand. Someone's gone about the batteries, um, how they're going to wear out, and, and you'll have to replace the batteries, and it's going to cost thousands of dollars. That's not actually been the case. People normally keep their car and until its, it's battery has um, no longer got the capacity for the range that they need, and they on sell it to someone else who just needs a, um, a car around town. Nassar was quoted the other day as saying basically all their batteries are still in their cars. 
there's very few that have been actually removed. So I'd like to talk to you about some of the other advantages of um, electric cars, and you, you may have heard of the possibility of vehicles to grid. So this is this is where um, you plug the car in, and it, it can feed two ways: out of the grid and back into the grid. So like normal electric cars are quite useful in that they can move the where the power is needed to the trough in demand. Typically, the power demand curve of, of, of the country has a very low demand in the middle of the night, wraps up a bit in the morning, dips in the middle of the day, wraps up a bit more in the evening, and then dips away in the evening. And so the electric cars can be charged up in the evening, filling in the, that hollow where we've got surplus generation capacity anyway. So they're not adding another like doubling of the grid or anything like that. Substantially better than that. Brian and Pip have got a special deal with Meridian, I think. <laughs> Where they've got free power from nine till till, till twelve. You know, so it's to their advantage to not be charging a car up at peak times, but but out of peak times, and, and that's going to become more and more common. Where everyone will be paying much more like the spot price for power, and, and so it'll be incentivised to charge off peak. But with vehicle to grid. What the possibility is that is, is that you can put power back into the grid when the grid's struggling and be paid well for it. So you can charge up your car in the middle of the night at very little cost when that's what the spot price is. It's almost zero, often through the night. But then be rewarded quite handsomely um, for paying back into for putting power back into the grid just when the grid needs it in the, in, um, in, in the evenings. And even if you've used it during the day. There's, there's almost always some surplus power that you've got. Of course, you, you, you keep perhaps 20% for an emergency um, drive to the um, hospital or whatever, but you can smooth out those, those temperature fluctuations and be paid for it. Now, some people might say, oh, but that's, that's, that's doing an issue, um, increased cycling of your battery, so it would increase the degradation of the battery. But in fact, that's not the case with lithium batteries. There's a, um, an outfit in New Zealand called Flip the Fleet. They want to flip the fleet from fossil fuel cars to electric. And they have a lot of people in New Zealand, we're one of them, who monthly send them data of what they've been doing in the last month with their car and, and, and the, the readings of their battery each month. And what they've found is that actually the the cars with the best batteries are the ones that have been driven the most. So um, the, the main battery degradation with these lithium-ion cars is, is not kilometres at all. It's, it's actually this gradual calendar degradation, something like 3% a year, just gradual de- de- degradation. So if your battery is going to degrade anyway, just through time, why wouldn't you cycle it more by charging up the grid, you know, um, putting power back into the grid, and if, if you're getting paid well for it. At the moment, that requires a um, wall box that is you know, 10 grand on. But that's going to come down, and I, I expect ECA and, and people to be actually subsidising those because it's got such big benefits to the grid. Okay, so much for EVs as cars. We tend to default to EVs as an electric car, but EVs can be all sorts of things, like an electric train. The main one trains on the North Island. You know, a lot of them are pure electric, and 
They don't have a battery to drag up a hill. They don't have a battery to replace. Last three months, established technology, so that's an EV. Trams and light rail, they are electric vehicles. Again, quite established technology. They're also battery electric trams. This is a book called Time to Beat the Dog. A question mark, a bit controversial, but it was looking at it was it was looking at environmental footprints of various things. And the, the surprising founding finding of the of, of the book was that the cost in Europe, at least, of owning a dog environmentally was similar to running an SUV. And, and so they had death threats about this book, apparently. But it had a question mark at the end of it, and no recipes. We still got the death threats. Yeah. And that book, it, it said that the found that the most economical in terms of megajoules per passenger kilometre vehicle was actually these, what they called Limburg cigars. They were rail cars, battery electric rail cars in, in Germany in 1960s. They were the most um, efficient. So I can see them coming back in New Zealand, battery electric rail cars are ahead of the wiring, like up and down, picked into in the cargo. Think about that, wouldn't that be fantastic? Dari, at least. Electric planes. So we've already got, you, you, you may have known, know this, but we've already got an electric plane that's flying across Cook Strait that's a trainer. And, and of course, what the trainer planes do, they do a lot of take off landing, take off landing, take off landing. So that's a fantastic use for electricity. But um, Sounds Air have got an order, an electric plane that's going to be suitable for Nelson Wellington, Blenheim um, Wellington trip. It's going to be a few years off, but that's not in the distant future, that's in the near future. The longer range ones are much more of an issue, of course. But just talking about that, we haven't even started looking at efficient shapes of planes because we've had this fossil fuel, cheap fossil fuels for almost ever. The planes that we've got are basically just a, a rounding on the front of a tube and a sort of teardrop on the back of a tube that's not. It's not a proper aerodynamic shape at all. And there's this um, Solera 500L egg-shaped um, plane that's been developed that um, has 60% less fuel use just through the um, much better aerodynamic shape. So when you get better aerodynamic shape, better batteries, you know, I, I, I can see that it won't be too long before we'll be able to have certainly internal flights, some live internal flights with electric planes, international flights. Well, you might think that's impossible with an electric vehicle, but something that no one talks about is photovoltaic airships. Um, that's a distinct possibility. The slower planes, airships, um, 130 to 150k, but they've got such a huge surface area that you could have printed solar cells, which they're already doing, but they're very efficient. But it doesn't matter on, a, on an airship, you've got so much area. So you could have a, a PV power solar electric airship that, that could fly flat out in overcast conditions because it's got so much solar panel area. Could have batteries to go through night. To, to Europe, it will be five to six days, so it will take longer. But you, you're flying much lower, and it would be much more of a journey. You would actually, rather than being a cattle class, you know, squashed between people with a screen here, you could get up and walk around, have a bunk room, like they did in the Hindenburg, and, uh, you know, quite possible. Also, things like helicopter logging, um, that could be done with, with um, electric airships. And so they've got no um, energy for hovering. They just have some surface water that they dump when they pick up a log. They, they bring the log to the depot, they pick up more water, dump the log, and go back again. And then there's micro-mobility. We've seen the e scooters more and more. And they work fantastically well with 
buses, the first and last kilometre. So you can scoot to the bus stop, jump on the bus with your scooter, zip into town on the bus, and then zip on your scooter to where you're going to, or you can hire them at either end. I don't know if you've seen those monowheel ones. They look pretty interesting. They look pretty safe. And it's skateboards. But, but here's the big one. Here's the big other EV that I, I think you really need to think about, and that's e-bikes. They flatten hills. They blow the stuffing out of headwinds, and you arrive non-sweaty. They're the best replacement for an electric car or a car. However, electric cars do nothing for road congestion. In fact, they make it worse. That's because uh, you, you've, you've, you've taken away the ill factor of emissions when you're driving in and out of town. We, we have people complaining about congestion when they're intent, intent on dragging what's actually a three-seater sofa, two armchairs, four lighting clusters, 500 metres of storage space, an infotainment system from one end of the town to the other and expecting to park it in public land all day for nothing. You know, when you think about it, it's a pretty bizarre scenario, isn't it? So, yeah, even if they're EVs, they're still taking up all that room in our congested urban environments. We've already got 44% of the CBD area taken up with car parking, roads and car dealers. We've, we've got to change that. So EVs are going to do nothing for that. But also there's a lot of embodied energy in just um, making the electric car in the first place. And it's more than an EV, but as I said, it, the embodied energy and embodied carbon in an electric car is considerably more than a fossil fuel vehicle. But because it uses no fossil fuels, has no emissions... It, it very soon becomes net better than a fossil fuel vehicle. But it's still a lot of embodied energy in that vehicle and a lot of energy to move it. And you think you're just moving one or perhaps two people in this one and a half, two tonne vehicle. It's, it's not ideal. E-bikes, however, take a fraction of the space, use a fraction of the amount of energy to propel one to three people from one place to another. And a side step you might like to think about, instead of just swapping out um, an internal combustion engine car or every internal combustion engine car that you've got for um, an electric car, is perhaps you don't swap out all of them. You might like to think about the idea of a Fano fleet, Fano fleet, rather than everyone having their own vehicles that, that can do everything, and that's why we end up with SUVs, that you have one car amongst friends or family that is like a long-distance car you can share. And another thing that I was surprised to see is by water's now, by water Toyota, it's now got this total mobility scheme where you, you, you don't um, own a vehicle but you subscribe to um, their service and whatever vehicle you need for a particular use, you take that right vehicle. So if you want to go skiing, you book in for this um, SUV with seven seats and four-wheel drive and stuff. But if you want to go just from, from here to Tuck or something, you, you get one of their very efficient cars to do that. So that, that's something to think about, and it's great that Toyota's doing that. It's, it's a bit unfortunate that Toyota is one of the few manufacturers. It's got very few electric cars. I mean, two. They're getting there. Getting Some people say that you have to have a car to um, get your grocery shopping. Just a small anecdotes here. One is that my mother, every Friday, used to ring up the grocer with her order, and it would be delivered. We had milk delivered, of course. And so the only thing we were picking up from the grocers or the supermarket, which it was later, 
was just bread and a few things that we'd sort of missed out in the weekly order. And so the modern equivalent of that is online order, of course. And so the whole argument that, oh, look, you, you just can't do weekly shopping in a, in a bike, you know? Why would you when you can do it online? But also, there's this, there's this thing called quacks. I don't know if anybody's heard this, but Dick Quacks, the writer, who is an Auckland city councillor, who was, and he said something like, no one in the entire Western world goes and gets their grocery shopping in anything other than a car. And so ever since that, people have been posting pictures of them with their cargo bikes full of groceries and food and stuff, you know, at quacksing. You know. So that, um, just getting back to something like that. Julie and I were once biking out at more terrace on the mountain bikes, you know. It's quite a, quite a grind up at more terrace. And, and, and this guy comes sailing past us on his cargo bike, two panniers bulging with, you know, celery sticks and French bread sticking out, zooming past us, and, you know, no effort. That's just fantastic. So as we decarbonise transport and process heat that we need to for our climate goals, we're going to need more electricity, either that or less transport. And all electricity, all new electricity, electricity generation comes at a carbon cost. And building that generation capacity in the first place and maintaining it, plus there's also some emissions from renewable um, electricity, for instance, CO2 from geothermal stations and methane from some of our hydrolacs. For the sake of the climate, we, we need to not only eliminate fossil fuel use, but also limit the amount of energy going into new um, infrastructure. So I'd suggest that EVs, as in electric cars, should get qualified support. Of course we need to rapidly eliminate fossil fuel emissions, and that's the most important thing. There's no argument there. But just swapping out all your fossil fuel cars for the same number of electric cars is not the best way to do that. Using a shared EV when you really need one, or getting an e-bike as an ICE car alternative is a good move. That was Peter Olerenshaw, recorded live at a Spirited Conversation at Yaza Cafe in Nelson during September. Spirited Conversations air Friday afternoon at 3, replaying on Saturday morning at 8am. Podcasts of this and previous episodes can be found at freshfm.net and the accessmedia.nz app. Just look for Spirited Conversations. I'm Jan Marsh. Thanks for joining us for Spirited Conversations at Fresh FM. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the Top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.com.